Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining me on my very first episode of the clean cut, orderly version of Grave Stories. I'm going to mostly wing this, but I'm going to try to package this whole experience in a more orderly fashion as to the version as opposed to the versions I did earlier in my life. Uh, if you are a fan of mine and you've watched or listened to any of the nonsense I've made, you already know of Grave Stories, something I used to do in live streams on YouTube. And I think I did a version where I had Mortimer, Susie, from the Game Grumps. I, th- I think that was Grave Stories. I had her come over and talked about like spooky dead person stuff. I'm very intrigued by just like scary stories in general and like ghost stories, but not in te- not just ghost stories. So this little first episode, I guess, will be a sort of a introductory introduction to what this podcast will be. I will probably read a lot of first-hand account true ghost stories from people telling their story, but I'll probably also do things where I'm going, I have some ideas for some stories and topics that I've heard about that I'll research, write up my own little script and read that based on what I've learned about the subject matter. Uh, and also just talk about some like urban legends and things that are based in reality that people have experienced or people have said they've seen or like a missing person, what happened to them, where did they vanish to. Uh, true, definitely even true crime stuff I'll get into, which kind of like messes with my head. Like a lot of true crime is a little too dark and morbid for me. I'm a really happy person, <laughs> but I'm very intrigued by like particularly ghosts and more like I don't know safe scary content because I don't like depressing stuff about people getting murdered. Really, I can't get into that whole thing. I like a lot of the stuff on the internet, like stuff Nexpo, who's a YouTuber, stuff he covers. Sometimes I just can't watch it. It's too dark and sad for me but I love a good old-fashioned ghost story. So for this first episode, I'm going to do uh, something I think is very appropriate. Since I'm from Massachusetts, and in particular Cape Cod, which is the, if you look at Massachusetts, it's the flexing arm part of the state. That is Cape Cod, and that's where I grew up. So I'm going to read three ghost stories, first-hand accounts. These are true ghost stories, stories people have experienced and have told this author of this book. So I'll read these. They're pretty short. And these took place on Nantucket, which is on the the island off of Cape Cod. You might have heard of Martha's Vineyard before. You've probably heard of Nantucket. I think it's where Tommy Hilfiger lives or something. Anyway, um, this book is all about stories that took place on Nantucket Island. Um, This woman met with all these people who live there. The author lives on Nantucket, and these people who own these houses that are haunted told told her their stories, and I will read them. So so some of you have probably already heard these that watched my old live streams. I read this book before. I've read many other true ghost story books on those streams. So this will be a more like a little digestible, packaged version of all that if I can ever get through this intro. So anyways, uh, the last thing I'll say before I start reading the stories is if you don't know who I am, uh, my name is Nathan. I am an actor, comedian, I guess you could say director. I don't like to direct, but I just have to do it sometimes because I like to make stuff and that's the only way to do it is to do it. So I would, I do a lot of physical comedy. I'm a comedian and I love do a very over the top, big physical comedy. Uh, and I play many characters, uh, 
I, I guess I don't, this is not supposed to be some sort of a humble brag, but like this easiest thing to say is like I'm sort of do like Jim Carrey type stuff. So anyway, that's me. And I also like spooky, scary stories. And I've really been wanting to start an actual podcast, like an organized one like this. And because of my friend Tom, who also has a podcast called unbelievable mysteries which you should definitely check out he is really into like conspiracies and like uh, all these things you hear about uh like i can't even think of some of them some of the things he tells me are just so insane like a cliche one would be like jfk's assassination like he'll tell me all this stuff about like i'm like oh yeah that sounds pretty good that's that that sounds pretty legit and he like definitely makes a good case for these conspiracies when he's telling them to you but he gets so wrapped up into it uh, it's pretty intriguing. So he goes through all kinds of different conspiracies, and I think you should check it out. It's like a, definitely in like a true crime genre. You should check out his podcast. He's also on here on Anchor, um, and with this website, it's so freaking easy to do this that I'm like, all right, I'm gonna just spam this thing with tons of episodes. So get ready. There's a lot coming from me um, on this. Thanks to Tom. And thank you, Tom, for telling me about this website because it's amazing. I love it. So here I am. I'm sitting in my closet right now. There's dim light. I'm already scared. And uh, (laughs) I'm going to read some ghost stories to you. Great Halloween parties begin at Walgreens. Candy, party decorations, masks, costumes, makeup. Everything you need for Halloween fun, now at Walgreens. So here, we're going to start with this. This is uh, the, let me see, what is even this book called? The book is just called Nantucket Ghosts. So... This is the introduction to the book. Nantucket Island has just over 10,000 year round residents and a sizable population of ghosts. Oh, also, I should say this. I'm so bad at reading. This is the worst idea for me to do this podcast, but I'm going to get through it. Also, I get so scared so easily. I often have to stop reading because I start freaking out when I lose my mind because I'm like, why am I torturing myself? So... If you want to hear a good podcast, this might not be for you, (laughs) but bear with me. Maybe we'll get through this first episode together. Okay, here we go. All right. Nantucket Island has just over 10,000 year-round residents and a sizable population of ghosts. The 44 stories in this book were collected as oral history over a 15-year period and originally published in two columns, The Ghosts of Nantucket from 1984 and Nantucket Hauntings from 1990. These interviews are direct, unembellished accounts, experiences related to me in living rooms, on back porches, sometimes outside, so as to not be heard by the house itself. Oh, come on. That freaks me out already. Oh, gosh, dang it. (laughs) I think that makes me think my house is listening to me do this and something's going to happen. In recording these tales, I tried to not believe or disbelieve, but simply get out of the way. Among those who speak are a janitor, an electrician, a musician, curator, two architects, a carpenter, a writer, a marine biologist, a chef, a nurse, a jeweler, several guest house owners, a taxi driver, a real estate agent, a teacher, a hairdresser, an antiques dealer, and a restaurant owner. The youngest is seven, and the eldest is 93. Some of their names have been changed at their request. A few are Nantucketers, 
most are off-islanders and all, interestingly enough, saw themselves as unlikely candidates for the sort of experience that happened to them. I mean, isn't that everybody? Everyone's like, nah, nah, ghosts are fake. Nothing, it's all, we all, science disproves it, blah, blah, blah. Oh yeah, well, science doesn't know what I saw when I was a teenager. I'll get to that in the sun episode. I'll tell my own ghost stories and things that happened to me and it changed my life. Ghosts are freaking real, man. I can guarantee that. Okay. Back to the book. A plump comma of land, 22 miles. Well, that's weird. My favorite number. And it's on Cape Cod. My favorite place. Oh, spooky. I'm getting haunted just reading this book. A plump comma of land, 22 miles off the shore of Cape Cod in Massachusetts, Nantucket has managed to punctuate the history of the United States in a way that is out of all proportion to its diminutive size 70 miles long from east to west and three to four miles wide the island was one of the most prosperous whaling ports in the world during the first half of the 19th century and produced an impressive number of politicians great two things we don't like politicians and dead whales philosophers abolitionists i can't read that word suffragettes Invest, investors, writers, and scientists. With the collapse of the whaling industry, however, thank God, Nantucket became an impoverished, deserted outpost. Ooh, perfect place for ghosts. In the early 1900s, city dwellers began to discover this tiny backwater. This this tiny. Oh, the backwater, period. See, I told you I'm so bad at reading. I read too fast. My eyes too move too fast. My mouth and brain move too slow. A retreat from mainstream American life, Nantucket seemed too good to be true. It has 70 miles of beach, fields of berries and wildflowers, slow summers and winding narrow streets banked by Quaker homes. It was back on the map. The physical remnants of Nantucket's bustling heyday stood unchanged. The decline of the whaling industry in the severe depression that followed had the effect of freezing almost all housing construction for more than half a century. The town, through an accident of history, has one of the most extensive and remarkably preserved collections of pre-1850 buildings in the United States. The soft gray coloring of shingled houses dominates the landscape. That's a thing I'll tell you. Growing up on Cape Cod in Massachusetts, Massachusetts is kind of like in general, but really on Cape Cod and down by the beaches, all the houses are gray. That's like a thing. I think that's like what Cape houses are called, which are houses all over the place now in the United States. But a Cape house is from Cape Cod and they all have gray shingles. It was so weird to me to like leave Massachusetts for the first time and see houses that didn't have gray shingles and didn't look like a Massachusetts or Cape Cod house. It was like, what? your houses are weird everywhere. Anyway, back to the book. Of the people I interviewed in gathering these stories, many did not know that paranormal disturbances are quite common on the island, and they were initially reluctant or embarrassed to speak about their about their experience. Most preceded their story uh, with a phrase like, "Well, this sounds ridiculous," but others admitted over the phone that certain things had gone on in their homes, but were unwilling to talk about them. In listening to these accounts, I often felt like pinching myself. How could I be hearing what I was hearing? How could so many, quote, real ghosts be coming out of modern community? Nantucket's cachet of well-preserved old houses must be a factor. Moisture offers another explanation. The late Arthur Twitchell, a former president of the American Society of Physical Research, had an interesting theory. 
he felt that the perception of an apparition was an electrical process not yet understood in scientific terms, a process possibly facilitated on Nantucket by the constant presence of water in the ground and the atmosphere. The island's aquifer sits very close to the surface, and Nantucket's fogs are notorious. That's true, there's a lot of fog down on Cape Cod. Uh, there are coastal regions in Great Britain that are similar in climate and terrain to this island. And Twitchell point out, uh, pointed out that some of the communities in those areas of Great Britain also report a bumper crop of phantoms and hobgoblins. Oh, so it's true. The fog holds the spirits. I mean, we already knew that. It looks like a freaking huge ghost. The fog is just a giant ghost and all the babies are coming out and spooking us. Nantucket has always been a difficult and isolated spot. It is also a place of great beauty, both frustrating and moving in its limitations. It is a corner of the world that has to has ha, is hard to leave or forget. Perhaps that is a good that is as good an explanation as any for the existence of a very real population of ghosts. Okay, here's the last paragraph for the introduction. I would like to thank all those who kindly invited me into their lives so many years ago and took the time to share the experiences that appear in this book. The privilege of listening to their stories is still with me. I also want to thank Lucy Bixby, whose photographs add a wonderful new dimension to these accounts. These elegant images go far beyond illustration. They truly capture something of the soul of Nantucket. Thanks to, uh, thanks also to go, oh my gosh, words. Special thanks also go to the Nantucket Historical Association, which owns several of the properties Lucy photographed. Lucy tells me they were terrific about unlocking doors and providing access and needed no convincing on the subject of ghosts. Blue Ballet, Chicago, 1986. That is the author. Her name is Blue Ballet. You guys should check out her books. She's an author and writes other things. And thanks to her and her research, we now get to hear some ghost stories. All right, here we go. This first story is titled Expecting the Inexplicable. Don't forget, this is a true story. This woman meets with these people and they tell their stories. So a lot of this will be like in quotes from the person telling the story to the author. The house is a multi-layered structure. Over the past century and a half, the original building has been added onto many times. It is hard to tell what came after what, for some of the additions were once freestanding houses. While the clapboard exterior has an organized appearance, the interior structure is confusing in a pleasant way. Floor planking changes, directions and tone, ceiling rise and sink, Baseboards meet up with each other with an awkward availability of distant cousins. Gosh, this is going to be brutal. I can't read words. Mr. and Mrs. Alan Shriver bought the house in 1966. When interviewed in 1980, they described the variety of things that happened to them as fantastic. During their t first summer in the house, the family returned from the beach late on July afternoon. Walking with bare feet across the dining room to the kitchen, Mrs. Shriver stepped on a small wet spot on the rug. She doubled back to take a look. The ceiling wasn't leaking and nothing had been spilled over or turned over. Oddly enough, the pad underneath the rug was bone dry. It didn't seem possible. The spot got bigger and bigger over the next few days, spreading imperceptibly what 
the heck word is that? I mean, seriously, guys, I shouldn't be doing this podcast. Spreading imperceptibly. I'm learning words. It spreads in. It spread a lot from the size of the din- of a diner diner plate to the circle over three feet in diameter. Oh my gosh! Sopping didn't help. Mrs. Trevor called the plumber. He came to the house but was unable to figure out what the spot came from. This went on for about a month. They simply tromped around the house across the huge wet spot for for there wasn't much they could do. One morning, it disappeared as suddenly as it came, leaving no water, residue, or stain. Okay, that's freaking messed up. That's hoobie-booby stuff. Two months later, in September, the Shriver's son, Christopher, came for a visit. Christopher went out with some friends one evening, and his parents had... Turning the page had a dinner engagement. Mrs. Shriver had made a point of asking Christopher not to bring his friends back to the house late at night. The Shrivers left for dinner, the dinner party, and went to bed early. No, they left the party and went to bed early. Mrs. Shriver wasn't feeling well and hadn't had anything to drink for at least 48 hours. She emphasizes this detail, knowing that skeptics love to connect the dots with dinner wine. Lying in bed, she heard the clock strike 12, followed by the sounds of Christopher and his friends coming in. Subdued, giggling, talking, and clinking, the, the clinking of ice glasses drifted up the stairs. She was irritated, but decided to wait until the following morning to speak to him about it. She heard the group babbling away for a good hour. Then the clock struck one. When Christopher tiptoed up the stairs about a quarter past one, she called him into her room. She whispered a fierce, Now look, dear! from the bed and he simply stood in the doorway shrugged turned on his heel and marched down the hall to his room he slammed the door over breakfast the next morning she asked him why he had been so inconsiderate christopher was surprised he told her he hadn't come home until 3 30 a.m and had been alone and gone right to bed there was indeed no evidence of a late party downstairs she found it hard to believe she knew what she had heard and he knew what he had done. They argued back and forth. The incident was so odd that Christopher brought his friends over to vouch for him. He was evidently telling the truth, for he had been at a neighbor's house until 3 a.m. In thinking over the experience, Mrs. Trevor remembered that in the darkness she had seen the outline of his figure standing in the doorway, but had been unable to see his face. As crazy as it seemed, the sounds she heard and the figure she saw evidently had nothing to do with Christopher. Oh God, I have so many goosebumps. I can't do this to myself. Why am I doing this? I'm really, I'm starting to sweat now. Oh gosh. It was at this point that the family began to joke incredulously about a resident ghost. Several weeks after this happened, the Travers were sitting downstairs alone when they heard someone pacing back and forth in their bedroom. Oh my God, I can't do this now. I can't do this. I'm sitting in my closet. This is late at night. It's like one in the morning. Oh, why am I doing this? Oh, fruitcakes. Oh, f- okay. Maybe I'll just do this one story. Okay. They heard someone pacing around the bedroom upstairs and even deliberate step traversed the length of the room paused and walked back it sounded like the firm leather soled step of a man and went on for a good 10 or 15 minutes are you kidding me they sat in the house 
for 15 minutes and listen to someone stomp around. Mm, no, I burn the house down or just run away and never come back or go up there and try to punch the guy. That's something I've done in real life. When I get scared and I think there's a ghost in the house, I see a ghost, something that I do that makes me feel better, which makes me look like a lunatic if anyone saw me. I often will walk out into like the living room and I hear, I'm in bed sometimes, I hear a noise, I think I hear noise in the living room and it's just like a squirrel on the roof. I often go outside and think there's probably someone outside looking at me and I can't see them because it's dark out there, but they can see inside and see me. So I often do this thing where I just like start like shrugging and throwing my hands in the air like, Poof. like what, what do I care, man? You don't scare me. I like over dramatically shrug as if the person outside who's trying to murder me or the ghost is gonna go, oh crap, he's not scared. All right, let's go. I do this at 39 years old. I've been doing it since I was a teenager, and I still do this. This is my method of fighting ghosts, shrugging them away. So they're they're freaked out by my confidence. I think it's worked because so far I haven't been fully haunted. Fully. Key word here. I'll tell you my ghost story later. Okay, back to this book. Just had to tell you guys, I'm po- I'm tough. The reason I'm actually saying it out loud, I'm going to whisper is because the ghost is probably listening to me. The reason I'm saying this too is because I want the ghost to hear me say that. And they'll go, oh man, he's not scared. So I can make it through this freaking podcast. All right, here we go. Mm. At times, no, that's the wrong spot. The pacing occurred frequently over the next three years Oh my God. And the Shrivers soon paid no more attention to it than they might have to a ticking clock or a squeaking door. It was never heard when anyone was upstairs, nor did it happen at any special time of the day or in any particular weather. At times, when they were in their bedroom, they heard a sharp staccato rapping on the door. Mr. Shriver described it as an imperative, God damn it, I want to talk to you type of knocking. That's specific. Loud enough to awaken awaken both of them from a sound sleep. Unlike the pacing, which had the self-absorbed rhythm of someone brooding, the rapping was angry and urgent. Oh, I hate these words. The words are giving me goosebumps. When he got out of bed and opened the door, there was never anyone there. In 1966 and 67, when they were frequently hearing the footsteps and the rapping, the Shrivers lived alone in the house. Around this time, they also had a problem with slamming doors, which would clap shut with a ferocious bang on still nights when no draft could be detected. Mm-hmm. Most of these ab- abnormal goings-on stopped a- after several years. Whatever was in the house seemed to quiet down. See, this is very much what happened in my house and my parents and I and my brothers. Like, for happened for like four years when we first moved in and then things just stopped. And that's what you hear a lot of the times. Ghosts get used to you or they move on. They're like, all right, fine. I can't. They're like, they're not unhappy anymore because they're used to you. Something like that. Uh... Most of these abnormal goings-ons often stopped several, after several years. Whatever was in the house seemed to quiet down. Then one May, they had what must have been one of the most generous and imaginative poltergeist visitations on record. I can't handle this. I'm not ready for this. The Shrivers have a miniature 19th century desk in their living room, about two feet high. It was probably a furniture maker's showroom model. When Mrs. Traver bought it back in the late 1950s in New York, one of its five drawers was missing an ivory pole. The knobs are the size of almonds and have a distinctive yellow patina that only 
can come from age and wear. Each knob is ringed with tiny carved bands. The Shrivers didn't attempt to replace the missing pole. When opening up the house recently, the Shrivers found the French doors dividing the living room from the porch stuck closed. The doors are about 15 feet from the desk and fasten with a vertical lock that slides into a small square hole in the floor. When they finally shot the rod up, they found an ivory pole jammed into the lock bed. Oh, that's weird. Uh, the pole is indistinguishable from the other four on the desk and is similarly worn with age. Surprisingly, it wasn't damaged or crushed. The Shrivers have absolutely no idea where it came from, for the desk had been cleaned and polished many times over the years, and the missing knob had never turned up. The house had been empty all winter, and the missing uh, and the employees who were with them when they found it vouched for the fact that the Shrivers didn't invent the story. The fifth pole has been screwed into place on the desk drawer where it sits today. Okay, that's kind of weird, I guess. Um, the house ghost poltergeist gift horse, or whatever it might be, apparently has a cultural bent, cultural bent for over the years original copies of the musical No No Nanette. What? The ghost likes a musical? Mr. Shriver is related to lyricist Otto Harbach, and two slim volumes of The King and Queens of France have disappeared and just as inexplicably reappeared several weeks later in their places on the library shelf. Mm, sounds like someone borrowed your records and didn't tell you. The employees have never shown interest in these books, oh, they're books, and Mr. and Mrs. Shriver are quite sure that they weren't playing tricks on each other. Both had noted this strange situation of different times and neither found it amusing. I mean, I just thought I was about to get into a thing where, like, this crazy poltergeist did something and it took a knob from a drawer and stuck it in where the door closes and then borrowed two books. This is not a good, scary for a story. It's better get better. We got one more page. The only phenomenon that has been a consistent in the ringing telephone in the Shriver's bedroom, oh, is the ringing telephone. Every night, just after midnight, the bedside phone gives three feeble chirps. They are shorter than a normal ring, and Mrs. Shriver described them as the kind of quick anemic birch sound sometimes heard from a phone during a big electrical storm when the receiver is picked up a regular tone dial is heard if someone is using the phone at the time the chirping usually occurs uh it functions normally i mean that's happened to me in my house and my parents like the phone will do like one of those faint rings when someone like calls and hangs up really quickly and then it gets just a little ring i feel like that's just a thing that old phones did they have contacted the phone company several times to find out whether cross lines, electrical surges, or some other mechanical follow-up could be responsible. The answers seem to be the house. The answers seem to be no. The house on Main Street was built by John Gardner in the 1830s. The land had originally belonged to his great umpteenth grandfather. Richard Gardner, in 1673. After John Gardner repurchased the family land in the early 19th century, it was passed from generation to generation. Shortly after the house was built, as the story goes, two Gardner brothers bought a Chinese houseboy from a voyage. His 
presence on the island was probably unusual enough for families to inquire about where, where they where he lived and whom he worked for. One day he simply disappeared. Whoa, that's messed up. He had apparently overstepped his bounds with one of the Gardner sisters whose brothers murdered the boy. <gasps> Okay, just got messed up. I have chills. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. Okay, okay, okay. I'm, like, freaking out because I read the word murder. He apparently overstepped his bounds with one of the Gardner sisters whose brother murdered the boy in a fit of rage. There are no papers to document the death. And the Gardner brothers were never brought to trial, but the story was recorded by several contemporaries. It was said that the murder took place upstairs in what later became the Shriver's bedroom. Oh, freaking chills. Okay, got pretty good there at the end. That's that's kind of freaky. But the kid isn't really doing great hauntings. He's just kind of walking around and stealing knobs. Wow. Great story. Now, we're going to take a break and hear a word from our sponsor. I'm Freddy Krueger, and you're invited to my special get-together. But beware, you may never leave. Dial this number now. I've got some grisly details for you. And if you're one of my lucky callers selected at random, you'll talk to me live while you're awake and safe. So dial this number now if you dare. Talk to me live. Freddy Krueger is waiting just for you. $2 for the first minute, 35 cents each additional minute. What a great ad. Such a professional podcast I have here. All right. I'm going to do a relatively short one now. Uh, I wanted to do three for the first episode. So this is probably going to be a little bit longer of a podcast episode uh, overall. I'm going to try to keep them to about a half an hour. But for the first one, let's make it a freaking fat hour. Why don't we? So this next story is titled, You Wanted to See Me? I didn't make it sound so here. I go, you wanted to see me? You wanted to see me? Here, let me redo that. This is more appropriate. You wanted to see me? There you go. That's spooky. Yeah. All right. Here we go. We rented an old house off Main Street in 1984. We were there for almost a year. On our first night in the house, my husband, Jesse, was in the bathtub, and I was in bed. And I heard him muttering something in a quiet voice. I said, what are you saying? He answered, nothing. I heard a voice again. I repeated the question and he said, nothing. I haven't opened my mouth. There's someone talking. Whoa. Okay, I'm already freaked out by this one. We both listened and sure enough, we could hear what sounded like two women having a conversation. It was a muffled noise, the way voices sound at a party when you're listening from another room. The talking seemed to be coming from the kitchen. We heard those same women chatting in a low easy tone many times but if you tried to track down the sound it would fade away you couldn't understand individual words but you could pick up the general feeling of what they were saying sarah coffin oh my gosh the lady's name is coffin how freaking appropriate i'm remembering these stories as i'm reading them i've read like all these stories but it's been years and i don't remember what happens in them until i get to the point but that last one i truly don't remember reading that last one I don't, maybe that was like one of the ones I just skipped over. I would jump around. Okay, back to the story. Sorry, I have such a, my brain is like bouncing all all over the place and I can never stay on track. Another reason I shouldn't have a podcast. Why are you listening to this? 
Sarah Coffin works at Together, a clothing store on Main Street. Although she wasn't born on the island, her father is a native Nantucketer and a member of the Coffin family. And her parents moved back to the island with their five children when Sarah was six. She went through the Nantucket school system, left for college, and lived in Boston for a short time after she graduated. She returned to Nantucket and married Jesse Eldridge, who also grew up here in 1983. Sarah went on. Okay, so now this is back to the woman telling her story. Those women talking were just the beginning. When Jesse's mother passed away, I came home alone after the funeral and was writing a letter in the living room when I heard a man's voice. It sounded like it was coming out of the bedroom. I said, Jess, knowing that it couldn't be him, but feeling kind of confused, nobody answered. I looked around the house and no one was... Page turn. No one was there but me. I told my husband and then didn't think about it much until one night a couple of weeks ago. We were asleep in bed, and it was late. Something woke me up, and I found that I couldn't move. And I mean, couldn't move. Okay, so I often say this is sleep paralysis, because that's, I think, what most people have... A lot of people have experienced this, and you just can't move. It's a very common thing. So I don't want to brush it off, but I'm kind of skeptical. Skeptical. I can never say that word. Is it skeptical? Skeptical? I should know this word. I'm 39. But I often don't really like, I don't like in ghost stories when they're like, I couldn't move. I was in bed and I was watching the ghost come at me. That's like sleep paralysis and you're seeing a night terror. So don't get out of here with that. Tell me some cool, spooky stuff. But anyways, the story goes on. Something woke me up and I found that I couldn't move. And I mean, couldn't move. It felt like someone heavy was lying on top of me i was on my back with my arms stretched over my head and my face turned to the side when i tried to call out i couldn't speak or even open my mouth i was literally paralyzed and i can remember my heart begin to pound and i could feel the adrenaline flowing i said in my head as fiercely as i could get off of me get off of me it worked Whatever it was got up and went away. I was able to speak and move again. Of course, I woke up Jesse in an absolute panic and couldn't settle down for a long time afterward. And from the night on, I could hear someone walking around in the attic over our bedroom. Oh, man, that's kind of messed up. That's now we getting scared again. See, that's the kind of stuff I like. I would hear it now and then, not all the time. It was a shuffle, but it was definitely the sound of a person walking in their shoes on wood. I remember that the ceiling in our bedroom was bowed and that I'd lie in bed and look up at it, wondering who could be up there. And I also remember hoping that whoever it was would stay right where they were. I wasn't too thrilled about the idea of another visit. One night, Jesse was in the living room and I had just gone to bed. I wasn't asleep yet. It sounded like I was always in bed, doesn't it? (laughs) Some mice had gotten into the house and Jesse was laying traps. All the lights were on except for those in the bedroom. I looked over and saw a man standing in the bedroom door facing me. Ho, 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 baby. He was absolutely still. I sat up and said, forget the mice, honey. We'll go get them tomorrow. But even as I was speaking, I realized that it wasn't Jesse. This man had on tan pants and a pale orange t-shirt. 
I couldn't see his features very well because the light was coming from behind him. Jesse said, what? From back in the next room. And I kind of shook my head and looked again and the figure was gone, of course. Now, that was a strange experience, but not a particularly scary one. Whoever it was hadn't bothered me. Jesse and I began to joke about charging our company rent. Sometime later, I was in the house alone one night, and I was upset about something. I guess I was crying. I distinctively, I distinctly heard a woman's voice saying out loud, Shh! Shh! Don't cry. Come. Oh, and over and over. It was so surprising that I stopped. That I stopped. <laughs> Bonnie Fitzgibbon, who lived with us for a couple of months that winter, told me that she also heard the woman talking when she was alone in the house. For some reason, I always felt that they were sisters chatting. The sound of the women was kind of nice. What happened next was not so nice. Oh boy. After the following incident, I was careful never to be in the house alone again. And we moved several weeks later. What the heck is gonna happen? They moved. Oh man. See, the thing that freaks me out is the anticipation in my imagination making up something insane. And I can't get through it. I can't I don't even want to start reading because I'm, now I'm already so freaked out. And then I'm going to read it and it's like, the doorknob moved. And I'm going to be majorly let down. I hope not. Come on, book. Give it to me. Here we go. It was about 2 a.m. I woke up thirsty. So I got out of bed and we were out of orange Gatorade. <laughs> that's, I hope that's what she says. Okay. Okay, I'm going to take this seriously now. I'm so sorry, everyone. It was about 2 a.m. I woke up thirsty, so I got out of bed and went to the kitchen to get something to drink. I was nude. Uh, what? Okay. Well, that's important detail, I guess. I was nude, and as I stood by the open door to the refrigerator, I suddenly had a creepy feeling. Yeah, because you're naked, standing in front of the refrigerator, and it's a cold air blowing all over your nude body. I suddenly had a creepy feeling that someone was watching me. Well, yes, because you're naked. The neighbors can see you. The refrigerator has a light bulb in it. I had a creepy feeling that someone was watching me. I glanced quickly around the kitchen, and it was quite empty. After pouring myself some soda, oh my God, lady, soda in the middle of the night. This is truly a horror story. I walked back to my bedroom. A minute or two later, I was sitting up in bed, finishing my drink, when I got an eerie, something's going to happen feeling. I can remember my scalp tightening. Oh, I don't like it. Oh, it's happening to me. Then the bedroom door flew open. What? Really fast and without a sound. And I saw an older man in the doorway. Oh my God, my goosebumps. The goosebumps. This is messed up. He had white hair and a beard and a very and very bushy eyebrows and was wearing a big baggy thing like a fisherman's sweater. He was kind of an outline. He was blurry at the edges, but I could see his shape and the coloration of his clothes. He was there in the doorway one moment and then whoosh. He was right up in front of my nose. Oh my god. Oh, I don't like this guy. I don't like this. I can't tell you how terrifying that was. You just did, lady. He moved with terrific speed. Faster than anyone living ever could. Just inches from my face, he said, 
You wanted to see me? Here I am. Whoa, man. Okay, those were the exact words, and I knew his presence was evil. What gives you that impression? The fact that he jumped in your face and said you wanted to see me? And knew his presence was evil. It may sound funny, but he was not a good person. What? Lady, you're telling us the obvious. And that was no friendly visit. I can still hear those words in the way he said them. You wanted to see me, so here I am. I don't know if I have ever been as scared. I hate to even talk about it and will never forget his face. After saying that, he vanished. And of course, I shook Jesse and woke him up. Wow, man, this lady. My husband was pretty matter-of-fact about what happened and said, he what? And rolled over and went back to sleep. I can't blame him. It does sound pretty wild. I went to pay rent at the owner's house about a week later and told her that I felt unsure. I felt sure our house had ghosts. She laughed and said, well, that's what I've heard, but I don't believe in them. Then I happened to look over at the mantle where she had a bunch of framed snapshots and there was standing on 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 the beach with a fish oh wait 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 wait, wait, wait. oh gosh I, this is a bad time to not be able to read words then i happened to look over at the mantle where she had a bunch of framed snapshots and there he was standing on the beach with a fishing pole before i could stop myself i said that's the man i saw that's him oh he died about 8 years ago the owner replied she told me calmly that he was either her father or her uncle I can't remember which, but then she changed the subject. The house had been his. <gasps> Dude, that's that's insane. That's like confirmation right there. I've had one very strange experience connected with an old house on the island. A few months before Jesse and I were married, I began having a reoccurring dream. In the dream, I was walking through an incredibly beautiful, peaceful house. I would wander from room to room and I felt really happy, just filled with warmth and a sense of belonging fulfillment. It was a big house with formal furniture and rugs and I knew someone that was... On, uh, that was... Oh, wait. And I knew... I can't... This is the... Why did I do this podcast? I shouldn't be reading. I should just be rambling about fart jokes. Mm. Now I lost my spot. Stand by. Worst podcast ever. I felt really happy, just fulfilled with warmth and sense of belonging and fulfillment. It was a big house with formal furniture and rugs, and I knew somehow that it was on Nantucket. At the end of every dream, I found myself in a hidden room, looking down through a small interior window at a woman sitting below me. Sitting below me. She was in Victorian clothing. Her dress was cut fairly low, and it had a tight-fitted bodice and generous floor-length skirts. She had dark hair, and her face wasn't visible from where I was standing. She was looking out a window at a pool or at water. And in every dream, no matter where I went in the house, I could never find the door to the room she was in. Those dreams were disturbing because they were so powerful. I wasn't that... It wasn't that my real everyday life wasn't happy, because it was, but I just felt that I belonged in that house. It had such a sense of peace and calm in those dreams. I would wake up disoriented, and it took me a while to shake it off. Uh, 
that like, to shake off that other world. In fact, I really thought I might be going crazy. The dreams were not like the normal dream state. They gripped me. In the last one I had, I was standing outside the house and suddenly knew that I was the woman in the chair. I had been watching myself. A week later, the inquirer and mirror, I, this, uh, in the inquirer and mirror, I saw the house. I remembered it sitting at the kitchen table and just staring at the photograph. The property was for sale and it was described as a coffin house. I called up the owner and said, um, and asked her if Jesse and I could come see it. We went in. I knew where every room was. The furnishings were different, but I knew the entire layout. We went upstairs and I asked the owner if we could go into the secret room. She was a little surprised, but shook it up, uh, took us up. And sure enough, there was the little window. Oh, I have major goosebumps. Oh my gosh, his story is crazy. I, I have tears in my eyes. I don't know why I have tears in my eyes. This is crazy. She was a little surprised, but she took us in. And sure enough, there was the little window in the room below. She explained that the lower room had been an addition to the original building. We left the hidden room and went down into the addition. And I went over to the corner where the woman had been sitting. The window she had been looking through was stained glass. It had a water scene on it. Oh my gosh, the freaking goosebumps are all over me. Complete with tiny, delicate waves. Here was the pool in my dream. After we visited the house, my dreams stopped. And I thought it was the end of the whole thing. We got married September 24th. Chick Walsh, who was Jesse's best man, had asked us where we'd like to stay on our wedding night. And I told him that we'd like to be in a luxurious old house where we could have breakfast in bed. Chick gave us that night away from home as a present. And we wouldn't tell, and he wouldn't tell us ahead of time where we were going. When we found out, Jesse and I took, uh, Jesse and I just looked at each other and laughed. The owner was a friend of Chick's, but aside from that, uh, I have no idea what made him choose that particular place. No one but Jesse and I knew about my bizarre dreams, uh, series of dreams. It was a little ner- I was a little nervous about staying there, but as it turned out, I had a peaceful, dreamless sleep that night. A really heavy, heavenly sleep. After all, I guess I was home. Whoa, that dream, that, that story is good. I like stuff about dreams. I really like stuff about dreams. I got to read some more things and stories that are dream related because dreams can be crazy. Okay, that was a pretty good story. I feel that I should probably end on that one. This episode is getting pretty long at this point. And that is two pretty solid stories. I think I read two. I honestly don't even remember anywhere. Oh, the introduction was like kind of long. So this is the first episode of Grave Stories. They're going to be very different, but they will all be about spooky, mysterious, weird, fantastic, magical things. So thanks for listening. Please stay tuned for more. My name is Nathan Barnett, and I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.